Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats Cast number one hundred and fourteen. I'm joined as always with my co-hosts. I've gone for two weeks. Edwin of unnamedgameshop.com and Jim Caselli of coolstuffinc.com. And we finally brought Doug back. How's it going, Doug? I've been gone for like two weeks and now it's episode like what, 275 or something like that? Jesus Christ. We're catching up on you guys. Uh, This cast is always a sponsor by coolstuffinc.com, your one-stop shop for all your Magic the Gathering needs. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus, we recommend stopping by to support both them and the cast. Um, Ed is currently in Sweden after sleeping through the cast yesterday. I just thought we wanted to get that on record. Um, I'm about to leave uh, uh, Hong Kong, and uh, Doug is going to what? What is it again? SCG Syracuse. Uh, it is the open that is ten minutes from my house, and it is great. Yeah. This past weekend, I was in Detroit. I was waking up at six in the morning. Uh, to work with 95MTG as a buyer. Uh, very, very tiring weekend. And Saturday, I get to wake up at like 10 o'clock or something and then lazily head over there and give people cards for that I'm letting them borrow. How was Detroit for both you and Ed? Uh, it was fine. I mean, the event was good. Uh, it was heavily supported by just like a few very large transactions. But in terms of quantity of transactions, it was very... Very quiet on Friday and Sunday, I'd say. I don't know about Ed, but... Uh, Friday was pretty bad. Yeah. Saturday was pretty good. Sunday was fine. Yeah, I, that's yeah. about our experience, too. It was just like yeah. Friday... Friday team limited events, or Friday team constructed events are rough, just because, like, there's very little reason for all three people on the team to be on site on Friday. So, like, you don't have as many people who are just, like, lazily coming in and doing side events or just trying to grind the last few things for buys or whatever like that and so just not as good of a situation for GPS. yeah yeah as a whole just like fridays at like most events have gone pretty bad it seems like the saving grace is generally the more affluent the city is the more likely people will be there on friday um like seattle friday would i mean it's that was a bad example because i was gonna say seattle was just insane anyway Right, right. Seattle's not a good example, but like Santa Clara or earlier this year, I think Friday was pretty good from what I was told. I wasn't actually there because I was stuck in a blizzard. He was um, sleeping. I was stuck in a blizzard. Um, I'm trying to think of what other Grand Prix have been pretty good on Friday, but it seems like, like most you, like Hartford. Hartford was super good Friday. Uh, Toronto was good Friday. Uh, yeah, Toronto was it was good both Friday. Both Fridays. That was I remember that part. But yeah, like it just seems like team limited. It just gets double punished because most people just hang out with their team, or like their team is just fragmented, so they don't all show up at the same time. So unless it, it feels like unless most people can get their entire team there, most people just don't bother showing up on Friday. And speaking of insane Fridays, um, there's vendors that are pulling out of GP Hong Kong because there's a super typhoon hitting in about twelve to eighteen hours. I can't wait five. Yeah, and the TO says everything will be okay as long as you don't walk outside to the venue. That if you take the train or the subway to the venue, you're fine. Just don't walk outside. So what is what is Super Typhoon? Is this like roof being lifted off convention center? Yeah, bad, this or is, is 200 miles an hour wind, and it is three times the size of the hurricane hitting North and South Carolina right now. It's bigger than the Philippines, which it's currently hitting. All right. Um, it's, it's bad times is what it is. Yeah. 
Uh, so we had a uh, Josh of Tokyo MTG on the cast last week. He was talking with me uh, last night about um, just like leaving early. There's a lot of other vendors that like just don't want to risk it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Um, I am not sticking around to find out. So gonna gonna get the hell out of Dodge while I still have time. Um, Ed, what are you doing in Sweden this weekend? I was trying to sleep, but you know, here I am. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's like a nice like fifty degrees outside. The venue's like the opposite side of the city from the airport, which wasn't great. But here we are. And uh, we have Guilds of Ravnica finally. Does anyone actually want to talk about this set, or is it just same old, same old? I'm glad we're finally talking about magic, other than you know storms and such. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. That looks sweet. Anything that catches your eye? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think are quite good. I, I'm reserving my judgment until all of the legendary creatures are spoiled because all I play now is commander and that's most of what I care about. Um, I mean, it's cool. It's nice that they're reprinting the shock lands. It's nice that they're reprinting chromatic lantern. Um, I think that the new green black spell has a lot of people, the assassin's trophy, I think it's called has like a lot of people excited, but I don't hear that much about that in particular. Um, it's interesting to see what they put at rare and uncommon that people really like. Um, so far, I don't see any legendary creatures that are like, oh my god, I have to go build a new deck, and there's like a ton of new cards for that deck that like aren't on yeah. people's radars already. Like, there's no build around me uh, legendary creature, I guess is the best well, way to Zob is close, but I don't think he's quite there. Like, like the only thing that's like kind of busted with him is like, uh, was it Phyrexian Dreadnought? Dreadnought, and people are already saying that deck is garbage. I'm sure it probably is garbage, but that doesn't stop people from playing it. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not super like the Aurelia is fine, it's not like game breaking. The only one I think is like quite good is the Lazav. But I don't know that it's necessarily good enough to like build a deck around. I think that the best card so far that I've seen for the more casual audience that probably still might be good and constructed is Doom Whisperer. I think that's the card that's most likely to be broken because it has an activated ability that costs life. And it doesn't it does like a reasonable thing. Yeah, it's good in like Get Rock Monster or like Gerard or just any sort of I mean like it's good in the Lazab, it's just good in graveyardy stuff. I mean it just says pay it says pay two life, mill yourself for two. Oh I can put this in Selenia. I just realized that. This yeah, there's, there's, a of, there's a ton of decks that this could be good in. And there's a ton of cards that like let you gain life based on how many like creatures are in your graveyard or whatever. Yeah, like you can like knock to the bone this really easily. Yeah, and then just mill your whole deck. So this is the kind of card that like I was reading it and I was waiting for the downside and yeah. then I got to the bottom of the card and there was none. Yeah. So I would be surprised if this is not good for the for like I don't know, all of standard. Like five mana cards are kind of like the peak what you can play, and they have to be really, really good, like Glory Bringer to actually be played. And this is the kind of card that you can like play it. They try to kill it. You pay four life, and you know, put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard and leave one on top. Like, that's a pretty good deal. I probably would do that all the time. 
Yeah. The the card I'm most, uh, I guess I'd say, like, opposite from the hype of is Mission Briefing. Uh, it's the blue-blue instant surveil, too. Then you Snapcaster. It's pre-selling for, what, like $15 or something like that? I don't think this card... I think this card's, like, a pain seer of the set. Uh, I don't know if it's useless, but, like, it's... I don't think it's useless, but I think it's the most overhyped card in the set. That is what I will say. I agree. This card is insane in Tiny Leaders. <laughs> but who even... What is this, What even is that? What yeah, even is that? Yeah. What yeah. even is that? Like, for Assassin's Trophy is hyped, but it's justified. I don't think this has the justification to pre-sell for $15. I think this is, like... A one or two dollar card down the road when the set's fully out and up and running, and I think it's going to be the card that you're most disappointed about if you pre-order it. I mean, at this point, like, there's so many cards that are over ten dollars that they can't all possibly be there. Anymore. Right, right. It's a it's a rare. It's there's Shockland. There's like, I mean, it, not everything can be like the path of Return to Ravnica, where it's like you have twenty dollar above decay, ten dollar shocks. Like everything else from there is just like. And in, R in RTR, like, all the Mythics sucks, too, except for Sphinx's Revelation, basically. That was only the way for a month, and then even Jason Sphinx's Revelation went bonkers uh, when Theros came out or whatever was after that. Yeah. Um, I think Assassin's Trophy hits $10. I think we see $4 Hallowed Fountains. I think that's, yeah. like, a well, healthy... Hallowed Fountains not in this set, so that's probably not the case. But next set, because it's already been printed in Return to Ravnica, Ravnica, and the event deck, they were, like, $5 before rotation Hallowed. anyway. Fountain wasn't in an event deck. It wasn't? I thought it was in the Blue-Eyed Humans event deck with Return to Ravnica. Don't think so. With the Detain know. Uncommon Flying thingy. Could be wrong. I, but I don't I do think it was so. uh, I don't think it was in a, a pre-con deck, but... All right. I'll um, check. Give me a second. Okay. But, like, I think that it's... it's Either, either the shocks in the set are going to be worth, like, $5 or less, or the rares in the center were going to be worth way less than they are right now. Got it. It's called Inspiring Heroics from Theros, and it had one hollowed fountain in it. I knew that this had come out because there was that 3-1 Lie of Sky Knight or whatever that detained something when it entered the battlefield. I see. Yep. All right. Is it just me, uh, or does every card in this set have, like, either four choices or... A million like, lines of text? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like this is the first set that um tom ross and uh oh my god what is uh, what is his real name i know his andrew brown um really got a good like feel on because yeah there are a lot of cards in this set that are like i don't quite understand all the things that it is doing like it doesn't read the first time like a normal magic card and i think that that's probably a good thing but it's hard to tell what's actually going to be good in this set. And even the stuff that are like is good might not even be that expensive. Like there are a bunch of cards that are pre-selling for five dollars or more in this set. And like it can't they can't also all they can't all be worth money. Like that's just not like physically possible. Because if and they are we have a supply crunch like Dominaria. That's the only way I could see that. And even then it's not worth like betting your money on that right and like that's the other thing is like if there is like a supply problem which i think that's unlikely they i think that they were unsure that dominaria would sell that much but like they know what cars are in this set and they know that it's going to sell a million copies like they just know that's going to happen and if I you look at dominaria there's only two cards in it that are worth more than ten dollars and that's karn and, and teferi and then 
there are three cards worth more than five dollars, which is History of Benalia, Lyra, and Mox Amber. And everything else is worth less than that. The only thing I'm concerned about is this is the first set where there's no Wizards Direct since the change to distributors only. That's so true. distributors can charge whatever they want if demand gets super high. I guess so, but like I feel like the other the other thing that you have to like look at is like if if distributors start trying to gouge the uh the stores trying to buy product like I I'm assuming Wizards doesn't want that to happen and will just not let the distributors sell their product anymore. Like I don't know. I don't know how many people were I also think competition will overrule the price gouging, I think. Like, if there's one vendor who's like, oh, I'm going to try to get 100 a box, somebody else will try to get 95, and somebody else will try to get 90. And... Yeah, as long as the someone supply else is available. Get, someone else will try to get two flooded strands. Oh, man. You're so topical, Jeremy. That was like a month ago. Oh, I've been out of it. Uh, he actually, I actually I think he got banned recently for 18 yesterday. months. Yesterday. Yeah. Good riddance. Get out. That's my hot take. If you lie to a TO, get out of magic. I mean, if you lie to a judge, you should also do that. Yeah. Um, but assassin, Assassin's Trophy is insane. I'm getting like $30, $35 on pre-orders because everyone wants it for the Legacy Tournament. I mean, uh, I, they're, I think they're it's a hard, but like, if you don't need them the first week, don't buy them. Right. There's no way that this stays at $30. It's, it's almost impossible for rares to be that expensive. They have to be colorless, and they have to be played over four of any, every single deck. There's right. no way this is that card. But a lot of people, the EV is high enough for them at the tournament where they're just worth, they're saying it's worth it. So no, 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 no. Yeah, like sure Legacy players are okay with throwing money away because they can afford it, too. Yeah, I mean, there are there are standard players that are purchasing them also that are going to play them week one. They're going to go to the Star City Open or whatever the first week that the set's out. I, if you're going to do that, fine. You pay whatever amount of money you want to pay. If you're just like, you know, trying to go to FNM every week and you're like in college or whatever and you're like not sure what you should do about this, 100% don't buy them now. Just, just don't. If you open them in your sealed pool at the pre-release, you know, you can play whatever copies you have, but... There's no way this is going to stay $30. Everyone that's buying them now knows that they're not going to be $30 in a week, a month, or whatever. They just need them. They're, it's time sensitive. They need them right now. If you don't need them right now, please don't buy it. Don't waste your money. I have, uh, moving on, if everyone's okay with that, I have something that is more towards our casual listeners' wheelhouse instead of Grand Prix and, you know, uh, buying 100 boxes of Guilds of Ravnica and all that. So I recently went through a closet and found a bunch of five rows of like dollar to five dollar cards. And this question gets asked every week on uh, Cool Stuff Inc. is like a uh, credit question. Um, and I buy listed a bunch of them to Card Kingdom. But I also buy listed a bunch of nickels because everything was already alphabetized and it was already sorted by set. So all I had to do was enter it in, pull it out of the box and submit it. Um, this is stuff that has been sitting in a closet for like a year or two and it was in mainly good condition, but almost everything got dinged when it got in. Um, even though like they were paying like nine cents on Rakdos Gilgate, which like for Doug is like, woohoo. So I sent them like 200 and something copies of Rakdos Gilgate alone. Um, and then I got dinged down and I was like, oh, whatever. So my question for Doug is like, when is it worth it to like 
pull out the nickels and then do you take credit or do you take cash with card kingdom knowing that you might just get dinged down even if they've just been sitting there forever so the first part of that question that's easiest to answer is that i generally always take cash unless there is something that i have specifically been looking for on card kingdom's website that is worth buying <laughs> because their retail prices are generally a little higher than tcg player um like a ten dollar card will be thirteen dollars on card kingdom or whatever um Boxes are generally a little bit higher, that kind of thing. Uh, I've only taken credit a couple times. One of those times was when they had the Modern Event deck in stock, a reasonable number of them, for like $90. And for those of you who don't know, the crack value on that, like the value of the cards inside it that you get from opening it, is like $130. Cause it's got like moder- it's got Inquisitions, Paths, Isolated Chapels, this is before the reprint, um, Elspeth, Sword of Feast and Famine... Uh, Lingering Souls, just like a billion other cards that are worth money. Um, Relic, or Relic of Progenitus, Kataki, all that stuff. So that instance I took store credit. Most of the time I just take cash because I can just put that into collections and traveling and events and all that stuff. Um, the second part of that question is when does it become worth it to sort of buy list a cart full of garbage? And I broke this down on Brainstorm Brewery a couple weeks ago. And generally, when I submit a BIOS to Card Kingdom, it is a medium flat rate USPS box. Um, you can get the boxes at USPS. You don't have to pay for them until you like fill it up, put a label on it, and then ship it out. Um, but you can get like an empty box at USPS. And one of those boxes will hold four 400 cal BCW white boxes. So those are, uh, I mean, I can grab one real quick. Like one of these. So a medium flat rate box will hold four of these, and each of those holds around like 500 to 550 cards. So that averages up to like a 2,000 card buy list on card kingdom. And if you average a nickel, or like if you average 10 cents a card, that's going to be like a $200 buy list. Assuming just every single card is a nickel on average, like maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, and then after shipping or whatever, you're making around $200. So at that point, it becomes easy for you to sort of do your own math in terms of your time value, how much you want to pay yourself to do this, how long it'll take to sort stuff, because if it's like Jeremy, where it takes zero time to sort the stuff, you're in a much better position than if you just have, like, commons and uncommons that are backwards, upside down, facing different directions, unset sorted, just zero sorting done to them. Um, but yeah, you can sort of just run your own numbers based on that information like if you buy listing quarters and the value goes up a little bit because your buy list card's going to be larger um but yeah i mean i guess i'm trailing off here at this point but was there any other follow-up to that that might be no that was it because everyone asks it every week on like is it worth like digging through their bulk pulling out five cent cards the other value of the nickels and dimes is that you can use them to fill up a buy list card that would otherwise be full of larger cards if you're shipping just like a one row or just like a just one of these things and the buy list cart only has like three or 400 cards in it and you have 50 or 60 extra cards with a room, you can just fill it worth of nickels and dimes to sort of subsidize your shipping cost. Um, you're not making like billions of dollars in Rakdos Guild Gates or anything like that, but it's just sort of free money that would otherwise fill the package with like tissue paper or foam packing or packing peanuts or something like that. You can just maximize your value of the package with cards that are you're actually getting paid for. Anything you want to add, Jim or Ed? Uh, only that Ed cannot have my pick of the week. But I'm going to go first so he can't steal it from me. 
Uh, real quick, Doug, do you just want to show them what medium flat rate box looks like, just in case they've never seen it before? I was, yeah, I was gonna. You have like outside, so it's awkward for me to like walk out and grab it, but yeah. See, if I did that, I would just rip. I would just rip my cord out of my computer. <laughs> Wireless headset is a good thing. So, sorry to everyone's ears if this is super loud, but like just one of these. Um, you can get them at the post office, and then you can just fill this up with four of those. I believe there's a slightly more efficient way to pack those. I think. Yeah, it, I think if. It might be 550 counts that make it four. Yeah, it's 550. I've gotten okay. six 400 counts in there easily. Yeah, it's it's, it's four 550s then, not four 400s. I'm pretty sure you can pack it more efficiently than that. I'm pretty sure if you use the slightly shorter boxes, you can pack them like you can't really see. If no one's watching, like you can stagger them in such a way where they form a square, and then you can stack two of them on top of each other, and then you can fit one in the middle as well. All Let's right, we'll, we'll test it out. I'll mail Ed to Jim's wedding. In a 550 yeah, I mean, count box. If you get enough BCW count boxes in collections, and if you just sort of like come across them every now and again, um, you obviously don't want to buy those white boxes at retail because they end up being super expensive. Um, but you can generally get them very, very cheaply or free from like if you ask somebody in the local communities, probably has a bunch of empty ones. Like they're just easy to come across. But yeah, also, you, can play, you can play packing Tetris to figure out your best metric that works for you. If you're going to organize your collection, you can buy them directly from BCW and it's like a dollar for like a two row. Like if you buy like 50 of them. Yeah. If you get them directly off the BCW website, uh, your cost will always go down as your quantity you're purchasing goes up. Uh, I guess another side note that's related to this. I think the most valuable non-magic card item I have ever purchased for just my job and what I do is either the buy mat with the numbers on it, or just, like, one of the BCW sorting trays. Um, they're just super efficient to have, like, ten of them. Uh, it lets you sort things really efficiently by any number of metrics, usually alphabetically, but you can also just sort by set, really. Like, just having a sorting tray, in my opinion, makes it very easy to move cards from one area to another while you're sorting them. You, you take the tray down in front of the TV, sort a bunch of stuff, bring it back upstairs to the office. Like, just sorting trays by mat, um... And then these shelving units behind me, I guess, would be another purchase that I appreciated. But just sort of tools of the trade, I guess you'd call it. Yep. Because everyone has a card sorting office by now that listens to this podcast. Um, for our credit winner this week, do you guys want to talk about taxes or do you want to talk about um, pre-orders? Pre-orders. No one wants to talk about tax. Yeah, I figured that would, that would be enough. No, um, I don't think anyone wants to talk about taxes. You should talk about taxes with your tax professional. Yeah, we are, none of us are licensed uh, accountants, so it's a good question. But like, yeah, sorry, Grant, you're not winning this week. Um, our credit We're not winner licensed this any things actually. Yeah, our credit winner this week is Matthew Bettencourt. Uh, he says, with the recent spoiling of Assassin's Trophy and all the hype around the card, this got me thinking to perhaps pre-order a card for the first time. I have never pre-ordered singles as I feel prices will always drop after release. My question is, how often do any of you guys pre-order cards? And if so, how often does it pay off? Is pre-ordering cards the norm or is it an exception to the norm? Much appreciated, Matt. P.S. Thanks for all the great content. Keep up the quote-unquote hard work. It's an exception by far. 
Um, I generally only pre-order things that I are, think are going to be difficult to find after the pre-order period, like foils, for example. And uh, I don't really care how much they cost. I'd rather just own them. So generally speaking, I don't pre-order cards with the intention of selling them. I pre-order cards with the intention of playing with them the weekend that I got them. So it's very rare, but if I do pre-order cards with the intention of selling them, they're almost exclusively Mythic Rares. And they're almost exclusively the day that they get spoiled. Yeah. Because when cards sell out, like the way that most stores put out their pre-orders is they'll put up like 10 or 20 copies at a certain price. And if they sell out very quickly, they'll put 20 copies up again, but at a higher price until they stop selling out. Yeah. Uh, I have pre-ordered two cards, I think, in the, or I pre-ordered one card in the past, like, two and a half years. That was Sky Sovereign. I think that was, the, like, one of the last times I was actually on this cast a while ago, but I really liked Sky Sovereign at, like, $4 or something like that. I managed to get them and then get out immediately, like, eight, and then it just plummeted from there, so that worked out, but I got very lucky. One other card I almost pre-ordered was Goblin Chain Whirler. Um... That card got previewed and it was pre-selling for a dollar, and I immediately called it the best card in the set. I mean, I'm not good at standard card evaluation at all, but that's just one I was like, that seems really underpriced. And I chose not to buy 50 copies at a dollar. Um, but if I acted on that behavior every single set, I would definitely lose more money than I'd make if I just picked one card in every single set that was like, oh, I think this is the best one, I'll buy 50. Um, that is not behavior that uh, would continue to make me money over the course of several sets. So and, don't pre-order stuff unless you plan on playing it, like Jim. Uh, I, I do order stuff with somewhat, like, relative frequency. I've gone pretty lucky. I think I had, like, I think I had something like 70 Lyra's, like, and, like, 80 um, Rekindling Phoenix. So, like, those were pretty good for me, but I've definitely had some busts. Uh, I think generally as a whole, the better strategy is to look at cards that are underpriced rather than trying to jump in on the hype. Um, both the cards I mentioned, both the cards that Doug mentioned, they were they, they were relatively underpriced at uh, during pre-order season, even up until time of release. Uh, but they plummeted. Um, or a lot of cards that were hyped have plummeted pretty quickly. Like Chandra was pre-ordering, I think, at like fifty or sixty. Yeah. Uh, that fell like it did rebound. So, but I, I doubt that many people who pre-ordered them were holding them long enough to actually see them rebound. Yeah, it's like maybe you buy Teferi at twenty and it goes to forty, and you caught you caught like the super modern staple that's in all formats now. But maybe you just buy list, or maybe you pre-order Vraska's trophy at thirty-five, and then it goes to ten, and then you hate yourself. So, like, don't pre-order cards when they're super high. I pre-order Ru Russian cards that I want and boxes that I know we're going to sell out of from other shops. That's it. So like Unstable, I knew we were not going to have enough in stock the first week, so I went to a shop that doesn't sell as many sealed boxes, and I was just like, how much are your extra boxes? So that's like the only time. Yeah, like realistically, the cards I'm looking at pre-ordering, uh, I think March of the Multitudes is pretty interesting. Uh, this certainly draws a decent amount of similarities to... Uh, Decree of Justice, which was a very, very good finisher and standard for a long time. 15 years ago, man. Right, but like Secure the Waste definitely saw some play in standard. Um, like, this is the type of card that's like a pretty good finisher. Um, 
it kind of has uh obviously it's like way worse than like you know like the last good expo we had which was Sphinx's revelation um it, but it has this, a lot of issues with another card we just mentioned which is goblin chain whirler sure sure but if you're using that as an instant as a finisher it's unlikely that like it will uh it'll matter at that point because this is not the type of this is not the type of card you're playing for like three, right? This is a card where you have like ten mana, you're paying for seven on the end step or something. Sure. Um, does it have convoke? It does yep. have convoke, but as it well. is two colors, which is something it, you need to keep in okay. mind. It is two colors, but it feels like this card could be reasonably powerful. Um, I think the Dream Eater card is certainly like a decent finisher as well. It's like a big dumb creature with flash. Uh, it has like a it has like the type effect where it. You can use it defensively because it will bounce a uh, creature to your opponent's hand, and it's a big beefy body by itself. So, uh, like when we were talking about the whatever that sort of, uh, mission briefing card earlier, um, a lot of equity in that card, it, a lot of equity in Snapcaster Mage is the fact that at its absolute worst, it's a clock, or it's like an ambush viper. Even if you get no value out of the flashback ability, you can still play it for that. Um, the cost is the biggest thing for me, I think, too. Like, right. being blue-blue is way worse than... Or blue-one. Right. Yeah, that as a, it makes it much more splashable. But, like, the Dream Eater, like, use it defensively. You can use it offensively. Like, it's a flash finisher. You can play on the end step. Being able to surveil four sets up your draw step for, like, a few turns. So, it feels like this card is a reasonable control finisher. I like where both of these are at. And like these are types of cards that they're not too expensive, right? Like you, like on Star City, if you want to play a Dream Eater, it's gonna set you back like thirty dollars. Um, March of Multitudes will be like thirty five for a playset, and I like these are the types of cards I would look at pre ordering rather than trying to like put your money on like was it like one hundred twenty dollars on a set of Assassin's Trophies that will likely get like punished pretty hard by like redemption that comes yeah. out pretty soon and just as a rare there's just gonna be far more of them than like some of these bottleneck mythics yeah like pre-ordering planeswalkers is always gonna be uh, a weighted coin flip that's not in your favor like maybe maybe you break standard maybe you guess that vraska is gonna be like the super best four of karn-esque $50 planeswalker but there's a much bigger chance that she just sort of does the planeswalker thing and just slowly slides downward Great question, Matt. Jim, where can he send his win, uh, winning message, and uh, how can people win for next week? Man, that was a really weird way to try it's to It's 7 a.m., man. Okay. Uh, you can send me a message on the Cartel Aristocrats uh, email account at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. If you'd like to win next week, you need to leave a comment on the uh, coolstopping.com page that features our cast it should go up the day after the cast is live uh if you're having any troubles i do not believe that the comment system works on mobile so you'll have to use a uh, desktop computer all right what do we want to jump into topic wise now do we want to talk about dual land still falling the reserve list blah 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 oh i have another good question because this applies to me even though this is a one percent question again because I, I talked it. How does it? I have another good question when it only applies to you. Well, because <laughs> it's free advice, right? I get all my questions answered. All um, your questions answered. If you're answering your own question, aren't you giving yourself no, no, advice? I get them answered by Doug and Ed for free, which is oh, okay. the real value. 
because uh, Doug actually probably knows this one. So uh, I'm buying an MP Lotus tomorrow that's coming in and the person knows their BIOS um, and like they're looking at TCG. TCG is like 8,000 or 9,000 for like an MP copy. Sure, uh, something insane. Market price is $3,342 and Star City's buy price is 4,500, but Channel Fireball's buy price is uh, 3750 and card kingdoms paying 3800 if For you can, mp if you convert the percentages over yeah that card kingdom pays 50 percent of near mint as soon as it's played yeah stuff like that uh, and it's, card kingdom buys it at 40 percent so star city's bios is 4500 for a played copy which is miles above any other biolist is it still worth paying top biolist on a lotus to get it in or should I haggle with them and be like, look, TCG market is 3000 whatever. There are two other major websites that are below $4,500. Like, would you take 4000 Well, the thing about TCG market is that it is based off an aggregate of recent sales to come up with that number. So right. it needs a decent quantity of sales of Black Lotus to actually re- reconstruct the algorithm or whatever and come up with something closer to the listed sales. So on something like Lyra, a lot of sales happen at 14, 15, whatever, and then the number goes up to that. Um, Lotuses don't sell on TCG Player very frequently just due to the nature of the price in the card. So I'd say, I again, I have zero info about this, but I would guesstimate that like maybe a dozen Lotuses have sold in the past like year on TCG. I highly doubt that the algorithm will adjust based on that number. So the market price for Lotus doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, as for the BIOS numbers, I, I mean, I think that it is always worth paying top dollar on that sort of thing because it is a very easy flip, even if you just want to make 10%. I just bought a Lotus, uh, just came in the mail today. Um, I paid 4,500 for a much worse Lotus. It's worse than MP. It's signed by Chris Rush, Bob Mayer, and Randy Bueller, all three of them. And it's HP even before that. So and it's I, purple. It's not even black. Yeah, the rush signature is pink, and then the other two signatures are black. It's bad. Um, but I was willing to pay forty five hundred for that one, just because I feel confident that it would be a very easy flip at five thousand. Uh, if I were to put it in a display case at a GP, or if I were to just like, even if I just want to twiddle my thumbs and wait six months and then buy list it back for five hundred, like it's a very just the nature of the card itself, it's very easy to just walk up to another vendor at a GP and be like, hey, give me 5000 for this at yeah. some point. Um, yeah. So oh. based on the fact that the person wants what he wants 4500 then is that what the question is? No, no, no. So they looked at TCG player and they were like, this is an $8,000 card. I see. And then I'm like, well, market is 3000 and here's a bunch of eBay completed ending at like 5000 And then I, I printed out each uh, major buy list and like Star City was like eight hundred dollars above everybody else. So does have you agreed on a number yet, or are you meeting up? Tomorrow? No, no, no. We're just meeting up tomorrow. It's it's a giant collection. It's more than just the Lotus, but the Lotus was the yeah. one where like we couldn't come to an agreement on price so I far. Mean, even MP, I'd be comfortable paying five thousand to like fifty two hundred, and just still be confident, but confident about an easy flip. Yeah. Um, so that's just me personally. Uh, I don't know about Ed. But you also go to every Grand Prix, whereas like school. So, Ed, what was your take on it? Because we talked about this a little bit beforehand. Uh, I think offering them like top dollar seems a little excessive. It's not just like 
I kind of disagree with Doug here. I think it's less of an issue. It's like, oh, it's an easy flip. I can always get my money back type thing. It's more like, I think buying, you kind of want to, I guess, line up the customer. Like some people, like if they want top dollars, it's like, okay, it's very clear this is not going to work out. Whereas some people, it's like, you, I don't necessarily want to say like you're getting them, but you can clearly offer them less because... Right, like if they're in a situation where it's like, oh, the money's more relevant, they'll probably take like a lower number type thing or whatever, right? Like if you have the type of person who's vendor oriented or slightly more demanding on their cards, right? Then like you probably, yeah, you probably need to do go top dollar, but like in most cases, like I don't know what, what the situation on this person yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's uh, like yeah, I. So the situation is that I'm already paying them five figures for the rest of their stuff. And they won't budge on Lotus. So it's like, do I really want to pay top dollar on Lotus? Or like, could my money be spent better elsewhere? I mean, in that case, it feels pretty easy to me. If you're spending five digits, right? Then like, if you have to push on one card, which means pushing like $500 to make money on five digits, it seems pretty easy to pay the top number. Yeah. Well, it's just a question because I I had looked into this and I talked to Ed about it. And I was like, look, SCG is way higher than everything else. And TCG is all over the place. Yeah, TCG is not going to be a realistic number for a decent chunk of the old school stuff just because uh, tr- like people just don't buy their old school cards off TCG as much. Stuff like alpha cards or beta cards, like a lot of those just flow through different channels other than TCG player. Yeah. Um, and also for the old school stuff, like something like Black Lotus, if you're looking for, I think, a more accurate marketplace algorithm, you might want to check MKM. Right. But not um, everyone knows that. And now you're exactly. giving me a secret arbitrage thing. And now Sig's going to write an article on it and we're going to lose that avenue. Good job, Doug. Yep. Kidding. I mean, I didn't give away the site. I just said an <laughs> app. That could be anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting because uh, um, like you, you have sold a Lotus on TCG in like the last two months. So maybe you need to list another one on TCG well, I, and see what happens. I did, and that was all, that Lotus I had listed on TCG was literally half of the price of the next more next most expensive listing. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, I had a Lotus where the back of it was partially ripped off, and you can see the blue core from the back of the card, and it was a little flimsy and not necessarily to be guaranteed to be sleeve playable. Um. I bought it at 3000 and then I intended to flip it very quickly and I sold it I think a month or two later for 500 more dollars than I paid for it. Um so that and that was I also sold it like the weekend after Vegas which is when the hype for those kinds of cards was at was at its strongest. So I like turned my store back on right before I went home from Vegas and then somebody saw that there was a listing for a Lotus on there and they're like, "Oh, that's a Black Lotus. It's 3500. The next cheapest is 6500. Snap deal." So I, I probably just got lucky there. Cool. Anything else you guys want to discuss this week before we get into pick of the week? How Ed's not going to pick my pick of the week. All right, Ed, you're going to go first, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> if it's any consolation, Jim, Ed won't have hair in a month. So is that consolation? Like, I don't, I don't care about Ed's hair that much. I do. I get a suit out of it. I get a flight out of it. And Ed doesn't have hair. Win win. Man, just never gonna hear the end of this for Wait. like another month. But it's Ed, so isn't it win win win? Right. Wow. I like that pun. <laughs> All, right. All right, Ed, go for it. 
Uh, my pick of the week, which actually has been a pick before, but for a slightly different reason. I feel like it might be a time to shine here. Uh, Joyra from Dominaria. Uh, was it Joyra Weatherlight Captain, I think? Um, one, the fact that we have, like, is it here? I think if there's ever going to be potential for Joyra to kind of take off, it's probably here. We probably have the most support for it. Um, you can start doing pretty cool things, especially since there's, like, some decent legends. Like, if you play Joyra and you use it, and, like, you play the new Niv-Mizzet or whatever, right? Like, that's, you get to do, you get to draw a card, which turns triggers Niv-Mizzet, which allows you to do one damage or something. Um, if you do that, like, uh, you can do, like, there's support, like, is it Log? It probably makes it in there. Like, maybe Mox Amber finds a home in this deck. I, I don't know. Um, I think it's one of those things where uh, we're starting to see synergies, like, maybe pull together from different, uh, from different older cards, uh, drawers is like the perfect type of card where like right now it's fifty cents. If it if it actually is going to be like an engine for um for like an Izzard deck or something, right? Like the engine type cards, like it would be a four of it's like four mana, so it's like reasonably priced. Um, like it's less than a dollar right now. Like if I you know if you want to throw like a hundred dollars at it, like I doubt it's gonna get lower than it is right now. Like if it does well, right? This is like easily like a five dollar mythic or something. Um, in like a month, if it do, if it does pan out, like then I see it happening. It's kind of awkward that uh, was it uh, I can't even think of the name for those types of cards anymore. Artifacts, legendary creatures, historic. Uh, it's kind of awkward that you don't really have like historic instant sorceries to go with like kind of the is it theme. That's kind of like the one strike against it. But like again, I don't think buying like a hundred Joyras and like just putting them away. For like at least a few weeks is the worst idea. Like in like a month or something, if it doesn't pan out, whatever you buy this back and you lose like on a hundred dollars, you probably lose like maybe like twenty dollars or something. And I, I like to me like that feels like an easy risk to take. Uh, and that's probably where I'm at on this. I don't really see like any synergies that really popped out, but like that was one that just kind of jumped out to me when I was looking at uh, Mythic Spoiler while we were doing the cast. So my pick of the week is a black green legendary planeswalker from Exelon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, you guys are so great. I I was expecting Ed to be continue to be a jerk, and I was like trying to figure out something else to pick. But uh, no, go ahead. You do you. I wasn't going to pick Braska. I'm, I'm sorry. Serious. I'm not picking Braska, but you can go ahead. Okay. Well, as you can tell already, my pick of the week is Vraska Relic Seeker. Uh, I think it's probably easier to play than the existing Vraska that's, uh, or the new Vraska, I should say, in the upcoming set. Um, we're getting a lot of support with good removal spells, better mana, because we're getting the Shockland for that color. Um, there are some more reasons to play green-black in particular that are in this set. So this, to me, feels like the kind of card that is going to be way more than it is right now. It doesn't really see any kind of play in standard and it's like six or seven dollars and it's slowly creeping up. Um, if it's a one or two of in like a deck that that does well the first weekend, it could be ten dollars. If there's a four of it could be twenty dollars. Uh, if you play standard in particular or if you play like commander and you were like on the fence about when to buy it, I don't think that there's a better time than now. I don't think it'll go down from here, but it definitely has a lot of potential to go up. 
uh, real quick, just since you mentioned like how uh, uh, with like mana fixing being in the set uh, last week, I think it was last week. I'd picked like the Dominaria uh, lands as as my pick. Uh, now that stuff is being spoiled, like most of your cards have at least two colored mana symbols in them. Like Niv Mizzix has six, which is kind of insane. But even like the uncommon, it seems like it's a cycle. Like what is the uncommon? Like there's the Eternal Witness in Golgari that costs green, green, black, black. Um, the Boros one costs red, red, white, white. I think is is that the one that's the uh, Boros Reckoner? Card, all, all of every single color combination has something that costs two of one color and two of another color. Right, right. There's so, five uncommons that do that. Yeah. So, like in this past year, uh, because mana fixing has been so good with um, like the fast lands, uh, etc. Like the Dominaria, like those lands have been kind of like an afterthought. Now it feels like with those rotating and with how well they work in conjunction with shock lands. Like, it just kind of further reinforces my thought that, like, hey, these lands are just going to be, like, a form and standard, especially if you want to be casting some of these, like, more intensive spells. You're forgetting that they said on the Mothership that they're not going to make a red-green one. That was the only one they said that they're not making the cycle of. Because that would be in the next set. No, because uh, they, they said design said it was too grueling of a card to make. You're a bum, Jeremy. <laughs> I can hear, I can tell that one was coming. I, I could tell from the setup, but I just like was trying to figure out what it would be beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I was like, uh, there's like, I was like, there's no way Jeremy knows what actually is happening, and he's just talking nonsense. But like, yep. this is definitely a setup for a pun, but I haven't figured out what it is. Doug, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is an hour devastation rare called Fraying Sanity. Uh, the market price is around. Three dollars, but you can find them on TCG Player for like a dollar fifty, two dollars, and I think this is the kind of card where it's very attractive to casual players. And Hour of Devastation was a very bad set, and so this is the kind of card that sells on Amazon for like five or some so sometimes. And if you can just find like one single store that has a bunch of these at two dollars, I think it's very easy to just go in on them. And then you just stuff them in a closet for like a year and a half, and then assuming it does not get reprinted, and it's a curse, so it's a little hard to reprint. Um, then you just suddenly see your money double up. It's it's like a mill card, and mill cards are casual friendly. I wouldn't buy foils though. Foils are very hard to move with this type of card, like uh, mind funeral and. Glimpse the unthinkable foils aren't very good. Like just foils in general of casual cards like this are hard to move. So if you buy in, buy non-foils, try to get them around two dollars, throw them in a box for a year. Yeah, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't buy foils of those cards. Um, I called Jaya Ballard last week because I really liked how it interacted with the is it mechanic. Um, I just think that like there's going to be something there. Um, my pick this week is pretty. I'm going to go like with the easy money is um, Kaladesh Fast Lens in two months. Um, I think this is going to be some of the easiest money you're going to make. There's a ton of them out there, but if you're patient, just like with Scars of Mirrodin Lands, you should be fine. Uh, so like if you, there will be a point where you can pay $2 for uh, what's the, is it one? Spire Bluff Canal. Yeah. Like you're going to be able to buy those for two bucks. Yeah, I would. I would heavily focus on blue, red, and black, green, and I would stay away from red, white completely. I agree. Um, 
an isolated chapel is probably if you think there's going to be or not isolated chapel clifftop retreat if you think there's going to be a good boros deck is probably your best rate of return because that's the cheapest dominaria land out there by far it's like under a dollar retail um so if a good deck comes along and it spikes like four or five bucks you're making a lot of money so that's uh that's my pick anything else you guys want to add nope i guess ed wants to go to bed at some point all right where can people find you guys at edwin 13 on twitter currently in stockholm uh, this is the last weekend of nine consecutive weeks on the road, ready for a break after this. I will be at the GP venue all weekend. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore, and you can find my articles on CoolStuffInc.com every other week. Uh, my name is Douglas Johnson, also known as DJ. You can find me at Rose of Thorns on Twitter. Uh, you can search the hashtag card garden to buy and sell cards with me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me most of the time behind a GP booth where 95 MPG, uh, I'll be at SCG Syracuse this weekend. If anyone wants to cube draft or anything like that, uh, that'll be it. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will be posting a picture of the nice suit Ed bought me sometime next week on social media. Um, Ed and I will be at the 40 dual land tournament in Missouri. I think we have like 12 spots left, so it should be a blast. Thanks for listening to the Cartel Finance. Doug, it was great to have you back on again. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cartel underscore Finance. Find us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, and MTG Cast. And of course, our sponsor is CoolStuffInc.com. Uh, have a good weekend, guys. And uh, oh, you can find me on Brainstorm Brewery, too. Oh, yeah. I'm only a guest there, so I kind of forgot that it was a thing. Uh, I only just infrequently stop in there once in a while, but... Jason has talked about cartel more than we mentioned brainstorm this entire episode. So I feel like we won, um, but it's a good it's podcast. A I mean, it's not a competition really. Yeah. You should, uh, you, you should check that podcast out as well. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening guys. I'm going to go hop on a plane for 16 hours and Ed's going to go get some sleep and we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.